I have never been a part of a church that did not attempt to pierce the darkness and that did pierce the darkness. I'm never going to be a church. We will never be a church that caves into the culture as much as we as lies within us, we will never do it. And so we've been sharing last few weeks how to turn pain into gain, the characteristics of churches that actually pierce the darkness, cancel satanic assignments, see people get set free and saved, and instead of being shaped by the culture, shape the culture. So we've learned how to turn pain into gain. The second characteristic, stay with the Word of God no matter the consequences. And third, last week, resist and defy political correctness. We've got to learn to stand with the Word and not with PC. These CDs have been flying off the shelf. They've sold out every week. And that's because we're hitting a nerve. And I want to today talk about a fourth characteristic of churches that pierce the darkness, and that is churches that pierce the darkness will be praisers. They will be praising churches, worshiping churches. So let's look at this passage. We're going to read about the original jailhouse rock. Here it is. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. When were they doing it? At midnight. And who was listening to them as they worshiped God? Prisoners. Those that were chained up and in darkness and imprisoned heard them worshiping God. Now say with me suddenly. Suddenly, God moved. There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open. I don't know of a prisoner who would not love this to happen. But notice, everybody's chains came loose. Well, I understand the prison doors flying open because the earth was shifting. But the chains dropping loose, something else did that. And that was God moving, God sending His angels, God sending His anointing, God answering and testifying to and moving in the presence of the praises of His people. So the church that pierces the darkness will be a praising church. Father, thank You for Your Word today. And we pray that You will anoint us with a new anointing and fresh touch of praise. Help us, Lord, to worship you with all of our heart, and I pray that those who have never praised you will praise you today. In Jesus' name, can you say with me, make me a praiser, Lord. Now give him a hand of praise before you're seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. God bless you. This is a story that begins with a demon. They say, well, I didn't read that there. Well, let me quickly go back. Paul and Silas were in a particular town. Actually, it was uh, Philippi. And a woman who had a spirit, a demon spirit of witchcraft, began to follow them around. And instead of exalting Jesus Christ, this, this spirit in this woman was exalting and lifting up these men. And they knew something's wrong with this because you don't worship us. You worship Jesus Christ and you worship God. So... Finally, it says, Paul, being grieved in his spirit, turned around, looked at her, and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the demon spirit came out. Now, when that happened, she lost her evil gift. She had a gift, and the gift was divination. 
Well, it just so happens there were men in this city who were making money off of her gift. And they realized that she could not divine anymore. She could not uh, uh, speak over people's lives and sort of a, a, uh, um, a witch-type woman. She could no longer um, read their palms and do the things that she did to bring them money because she had lost her supernatural evil power. Well, the men got upset about their loss of income, and they reported her uh, and the preachers, Paul and Silas, and they spread a lie about them. And they told the magistrates of the city, this, these men have been bringing tumult and trouble to this city. They are seeking to overthrow this city, and they began to tell lies about them. And they stirred up a, a riot against Paul and Silas. They seized them for something they had not done. They threw them deep into the dungeon. They chained them up. When you went into a dungeon in that day, it was not like Tarrant County Jail. You weren't guaranteed a lawyer. You weren't guaranteed a day in court. You weren't guaranteed anything. It was fully up to the leadership of the city as to when you got out, if you ever got out, under what terms you got out. In the meantime, you were thrown down into a hole to rot. It was not a great day at the office for Paul and Silas in the natural. Here they were, all of a sudden, just minding their own business, cast out one demon, and hell came against them. And so what did they decide to do? Well, they didn't call for their lawyer because they couldn't get one. What they did is they decided that they would praise God in the dungeon in the midnight hour. Now, I like to think that if I was thrown in jail for something I had not done and accused of something I had not been involved in, and I didn't know whether I was going to get out for a very long time, if ever, I like to think that I would praise God. I don't know. But I do know this. You don't know people in the good times. You know them in the bad. And you find out what's in you when you get into a rough spot, when you find yourself in a dungeon of sorts. You find out just how deep the Word of God has gone. Just how strong your faith is. You find out when you find yourself in a dungeon, persecuted, forsaken, betrayed, left, turned on. When it looks like the deck is stacked against you, that's when you find out just how far God has come in your life. And what I want us to see today is that the disciples knew that praise was a weapon. It was one of the weapons of spiritual warfare that God had given them. You see, God didn't just put a song in our heart so we could sing in church. No. God put in us a praise. He put in us a song of praise that becomes a weapon when the enemy comes against us. We're going to see today that the church that pierces the darkness will do what these men did. The church that pierces the darkness, the darkness-piercing church will be a church that has learned how to praise God, how to get a hold of God in the midnight hour, and how to praise Him until satanic assignments are canceled. You see, some of you are under attack in your home. You're under attack in your marriage. You're under attack in your finances. And I've got a word for you today. Instead of mumbling and grumbling and complaining and murmuring and whining and crying, hey, 
Stand in the middle of your living room and lift up a praise to God because there is something about praise that releases God. Now, I learned a long time ago that there's a great difference between singing about Him and singing to Him. It made a huge difference in my life when I learned there was a difference between singing a hymn, and I love hymns, but just singing a hymn sort of by rote and then learning to look right up by faith into His face and singing to Him and being lost in praise and worship and in His presence. There is a head song where you know the lyrics in your mind, and that's about it. And there is a heart song when God has set you free. And all you can think to do is lift up your head and worship Him and praise Him because you've got a resurrection testimony. There is a time to praise. There are songs that people sing by mechanical repetition without even really understanding their meaning or their significance. They just sing it because they've been taught to sing it. And there are songs we sing out of the overflow of thanksgiving, faith, and praise for what God has done. I'm telling you again, the church that pierces the darkness in our day is always and evermore going to be a praising, worshiping church because He inhabits the praise of His people. The church that penetrates this present darkness and makes a difference and turns the tide with the light and the truth of Jesus Christ is not going to be confused about who they are. We are not going to be in an identity crisis, nor will we be oblivious to the spiritual weapons at our disposal. Like the one preacher I read about recently that was trying to sell his horse. A potential buyer came to the church for a test ride. And the preacher said to him, well, before you start, you need to know something about this horse. He only responds to church talk. Because, you know, I've raised him and I'm a preacher, so that's what he knows. And so here's what you need to understand. The word for giddy up is praise the Lord. And the word for stop is amen. So when you want him to go, say praise the Lord. When you want him to stop, you say amen. Well, hearing this, the man excitedly jumped on the horse and said, praise the Lord. Well, to his delight, the horse started to trot. The man said, I just can't believe this. And so he said again, praise the Lord. And the horse started to gallop. Well, suddenly the man spotted a steep cliff straight up ahead. And as the horse came right to the edge of the cliff, he shouted, amen. And the horse stopped right there. The man wiped the sweat off his brow and said, praise the Lord. <laughs> now there is a moral to the story the moral of the story is that we should always remember the meaning of things what worship is why we worship and what God will accomplish through it the church that pierces the darkness is going to understand what praise the Lord means is going to understand what worship means now, when you look at the Bible of the book of Psalms, which is the original hymn book, and from the greatest praiser and worshiper ever to walk the earth, which was King David, there's three levels of praise that David reveals to us from the Bible. In the 100th Psalm, David tells us exactly how to become involved in praising and worshiping God. 
And I want you to listen closely to the three names that he attaches to praise or worship. Let's read the 100th Psalm. It's very quick, very easy. Starting at verse 1, he says, I want you to shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Shout with joy, all the earth. Now, he says, worship the Lord with gladness. That's verse 2. Come before him, singing with joy. Verse 3, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Then verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now the three words listed in order are these, worship, thanksgiving, and praise. Three words that have to do with worshiping or praising are coming into God's presence. If you want to come into God's presence, here's the pathway. Worship, thanksgiving, and praise. Now it's always interested me that in Romans 1, the mark of the ungodly is this, quote, they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. Now remember, David said, the first thing that ought to make you worship is acknowledge that the Lord is God. Because if God is God, then there's only one thing you can do, and that's worship Him. God being God, God is worthy of our worship. So David says to any aspiring worshiper, acknowledge that the Lord is God, He made us, and we are His. Yet in Romans 1, when Paul is describing the ungodly, he says this about them. They thought it foolish to acknowledge God. They thought it crazy to look up and say, you are God. He goes on, yes, they knew God, but they would not worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. You hear those words in there again? They wouldn't acknowledge Him. They wouldn't worship Him. They wouldn't thank Him. There is something very powerful here. Look at our culture right now and realize that our culture has moved away from the worship of God. Our children are told that they can't even acknowledge God in school, much less worship Him. But to acknowledge God is to worship God, to acknowledge God, is to thank God, to acknowledge God, is to gain sanity. It is sanity to acknowledge that the Lord, He is God. Now, because they refused to acknowledge Him as God or to worship Him or to give Him thanks, the very thing David said that we as worshipers should do, the result, the consequence for not worshiping God, it says they traded the truth about God for a lie. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. See, when you don't worship God and you're not filled with the Spirit of God, it leaves a spiritual vacuum in your life. And something is going to fill that vacuum. And look what filled the vacuum in the lives of these people who said, I'm not going to worship God or even acknowledge Him or even thank Him. It says their lives became filled with wickedness, every kind of wickedness. You name it, they had it. And they worshiped, look, they worshiped idols. Made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. Can you imagine that? Now here's what we need to realize today. Everybody worships something. If you don't worship God, you're going to worship something. You're, you're going to worship something. And if, if you are here today or listening by radio and you don't worship God, can I tell you, you're, you're worshiping something or someone.
They said they, they made a trade. It was a bad business deal. It was very foolish. They said, instead of worshiping God and acknowledging Him, I'm going to build an idol that looks like a person or a reptile or an animal or a bird. And that's what I'm going to worship. So worship is the trademark and the practice of the redeemed. If you're a redeemed child of God, you've been wired by God to worship Him. You ought to look up and say, Abba, Father, I worship you. It was a great day of liberty for me when I got my hands up from half-mast all the way. I'm not telling you you've got to. I am telling you you get to. And I learned to lose myself in worship. That's when I, it was like putting up a lightning rod and God's power touched me. And I began, and in worshiping God, I discovered why I was here. Well, David says, if you want to come into God's presence, now I've got to give you a quick background. In the wilderness, you know, as they came across the sea and entered the wilderness towards the promised land, God instructed Moses, I want you to tell the people to build a tabernacle. And what the tabernacle was was a great, big, huge, portable tent with a big wall around it. And it was comprised of basically three things, an outer court, a holy place, and a holy of holies. All right, to get into the tabernacle, there was only one door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The Old Testament, the New Testament concealed. The New Testament, the Old Testament revealed. When you see something like this in the Old Testament, it's pointing to a future New Testament truth. So you had the tabernacle, this this huge portable tent with the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies, and you had to go through. There was only one way in, and it was this door. Now, when he says enter his gates with thanksgiving, he's got that door in mind. He's, and what was the tabernacle for? God said, I want you to build that tabernacle so that everywhere you go, you have access to my presence because I will dwell in the Holy of Holies. And it's in the inner court of the tabernacle. So you didn't go into the tabernacle unless you wanted to get into the presence of God. Now, that's Old Testament. Where's the tabernacle now? You are the tabernacle. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, bought with a price. Now here's what I'm saying. David had this in mind when he said you enter his gates with thanksgiving. Then you go on into the courts with praise. He's picturing people who want to get into the presence of God. So they've got to go in through that one door. And then if you want to go on into the presence, into the Holy of Holies, he said you enter the gates with thanksgiving. Then you move on into the courts with praise. So this psalm is incremental. It is in stages. It is progressive. We're heading into the presence of God. Let me ask you something. Do you hunger for God's presence? Well, that was a little underwhelming. Let me try that again. Do you hunger for God's presence? Do you enjoy seeing the Holy Spirit around you? Uh, do you long to fellowship with the Lord in the beauty of holiness? Not just on Sundays, but 24-7 when you're in rush hour traffic. Wouldn't that be a great time to experience the presence of the Lord? Well, now notice the tabernacle was portable. It went with them everywhere they went. You are born again, redeemed, 
filled with His Spirit so that His presence goes with you everywhere you go. Where is the presence of God? It's wherever you are. They said, oh, the cloud's moving by day, the fire's moving by night, so pull up the stakes, let's move the tabernacle, and we will put it back up wherever God stops. So everywhere they went, the presence went with them. But we've got a better deal. We don't have to pull up stakes. He put His Spirit within us. And within you is that holy place where God wants to manifest His presence. But how do we experience it all the time? Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Enter His courts with praise. Carry the presence with you everywhere you go. Now, let me talk about Thanksgiving for a minute. Thanksgiving, enter his gates with Thanksgiving. That's the beginning of getting into the presence of God. Thanksgiving is an expression of gratitude to God for what he has done. David said, thinking to thank God, thanks living is not just for November. Thanksgiving, if the only time that you really think to thank God is November, oh, may God help you. Because, listen, you're missing out on a blessing. The blessing is that if you, if you think to thank God on a daily basis, if you wake up and you thank Him and you say, well, Pastor, I don't have much to thank Him for. Hey, yeah, you do. If you're saved, you can start right there. Lord, thank you that I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You can thank God that He knocked on the door of your heart, that He came into your life, that instead of going to hell, you're going to heaven, that you're redeemed, that the blood is covering your life. You are signed, sealed, and delivered. You are seated with Him in heavenly places. If you can't thank God for that, you need to get saved. So if, if there's nothing in the natural for which you can thank God, then just start right there. Thank you, Lord, that I'm redeemed. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. David said thanksgiving is the pathway to God's presence. And it has so many, so many uh, uh, blessings and residual blessings if you will learn to thank God. Let me just give you one. How many of you like to have peace of mind? Isn't that a great blessing to have peace of mind? Well, listen to what the Bible says, Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious or worried or uptight, chewing your nails about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And if you will pray with thanksgiving, salting and peppering your prayers with thanksgiving, God's peace, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. See, notice, he's saying, don't just thank God once the answer has arrived. Learn to thank God when you don't see anything yet. I'm going to say that again. That went right over some of your heads. Well, I don't know about you, Pastor Jeff, but I thank God when the answer's there. Hey, listen, if you thank God after He's answered you, that's gratitude. But if you thank God before He's answered you, that's faith. That's faith. Like, say you ask God for a job. 
Well, you don't thank God once you get the job, got the paycheck you want, and you got, you're right where you wanted to be. You, well, sure, you thank Him then, but how about, Lord, I'm praying for this and this and this, and this is the job that I want. Thank you, Lord, that though I don't see it, I know that it's on the way because you are Jehovah Jireh, my provider, so I'm thanking you preemptively so that I'm not walking around worried about getting that job. But I'm thanking God. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. I'm going to say that again. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for, pray for, are asking for, will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we don't yet see. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's there, not there. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. See, when you ask for something and it's in God's will, it's already on the way. And he says, thanksgiving says, Lord, I'm going to thank you because I know it's on the way. And so that I won't worry about it, be uptight about it, be afraid about it, I'm just thanking you right now for hearing my prayer. He says, peace puts a lock on your mind. Praise the Lord. So we, we enter that one gate, that one door, because I'm headed into the presence of God. I enter it with thanksgiving. Then he says, then you enter into the courts where the presence is with praise. E.M. Bounds wrote these words. Praise and thanksgiving go in company. A close relationship exists between them. They're like brother and sister. They're really almost like twins. He goes on, praise and thanksgiving are so near alike that it's not easy to distinguish between them. Now, I read that quote from E.M. Bounds, and I did a little research, and I found one difference between thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving is verbal, and it's vocal like I'm talking to you right now. Thank you, Lord, that what I prayed for is coming, or thank you for what you just did for me. But praise has to do with song. Praise is also thanking God, but you can't keep it in just normal talk. You've got to break into a song. Pray, thanksgiving is vocal, but praise is a song. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you start thanking God for something, and then it just starts bubbling up. It just starts bubbling up, and you start feeling like, God has so blessed me and his joy is just bubbling up. I can't keep it in normal conversation anymore. It's got to break into a song. And so you start singing, Lord, thank you and praise you and bless you for what you've done and for what you're going to do. That's the power of praise. One is talk, the other is song. So he says, you enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You move on towards the courts where the presence is with praise. And then he says, I want you to worship the Lord. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Now here's the difference. Thanksgiving is thank you for what you've done, what you're going to do. Praise is in song, thank you for what you've done, what you're going to do. But worship is thanking Him exclusively for who He is. The worshiper is not focused on what he's done. It's not focused on any action of God in the past or in the future. Worship is focused on the beauty and the glory of who He is. It's just worshiping Him because He's so wonderful. You're not after anything when you're worshiping. You're just worshiping God because He's worthy of your worship.
It says in Revelation 7, 11, and, and, and Revelations is filled with this, but here's one example. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And here's what they sang. Amen, praise and glory, wisdom, thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God of long-suffering, a God of eternity, a God of redemption. Thank you, Lord, that you are who you are. I worship you. I could almost just go into it right now and forget about y'all. I just felt the Holy Spirit touch me just now. Thanksgiving, praise, and worship usher us in. So here we go. Say, I want the presence of God today. I'm going to work, man. I, you know, I don't want it to be a drab day, a bad day, a boring day, or a trying day without the presence of God. So I'm going to get up and I enter those gates, that one door with thanksgiving. And then I start singing praise to Him. And then I just go on into worship, worshiping Him for who He is. By now, you're in the presence of God. You can't do that and not experience the presence of God. So let's put you in rush hour traffic. There you are, which, which can make you lose your religion quicker than anything in modern society. I don't know how often you think to yourself thoughts like these, but I do in rush hour traffic. I, I think about the, 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 the past city leaders. How in the world did they not know to build this highway six lane instead of two? I start talking to the city leaders. What were you thinking? And, 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 and it's like the devil comes, sits right on your shoulder, says, can you believe this traffic? You want to get where you want to go and you can't get. Why do they call it a highway? No one says hi. Why do they call it? Why do they call it an express lane? There's nothing express about it. We're stuck. And right when... You feel like you're on the edge of losing your religion. Somebody pulls right in front of you. And you go, I have a choice. I have a choice. I can either make the choice to rejoice, seriously, not trying to sound formulaic. I can access God, or I can let this wear me down and get me in the flesh. By the time I get to work, I'm a bear and not a lamb. So you enter his gates with thanksgiving, Lord, I thank you that you're in charge. I come into his courts with praise and I begin to worship him. And suddenly you're not alone in that car because you're taking your tabernacle with you everywhere you go and the presence of God is following you. And that's the will of God for you. Another quick thing about worship, it's not just coming into his presence, but do you know that worship changes us? Listen very carefully, Tim. Here's an inescapable, irrefutable fact of life. You will become like what you worship. Everybody worships something or someone. Have you ever noticed teenagers, the way they will worship a rock band? They, they worship them. Because they want to worship, they're just plugged into the wrong thing. You're worshiping something or you're worshiping someone. I don't care if you deny it or not. It doesn't matter. Just check out your life. There's something that has become your idol or your God. It can be money. 
It can be materialism. It can be a person, place, or thing. But it has become your God. And it's you worship at its altar. I choose very carefully what I worship, and I know what I worship because I know that I'm going to become like what I worship. Jeremiah looked at the backslidden Israel and said this, you followed worthless idols and you have become worthless yourself. Psalms 115 verse 8 says, their idols are made of silver and gold. They are not the true God. They are made by the hands of men. Then the psalmist said, those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. That's truth. Whatever your idol is, whatever you worship, you will be like it. If you worship superficial things, your life will become superficial. If you worship perverted things, your life will become perverted. If you worship evil things, your life will become evil. But if you worship the true and the living God, you will become godly. If you worship Christ, you're going to become like Him. The Bible says, and as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. That's why when you worship the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why we worship Him here very exuberantly and, and very demonstratively. We do that because we know who we worship and why we worship Him. And we want to be like Him. So we worship what we want to be like. Now finally, praise defeats the enemy. Now I want you to listen, because praise is a weapon. Not only will praise change you, and not only has God called us into His presence and praise will lead you into His presence, but praise will defeat your enemy. You've got a devil that's out to take away your peace. The devil is out to take away your joy, rob you of your victory, take away your testimony, discourage you where you don't want to go to church, don't want to pray anymore, don't want to read the Bible anymore. He wants to wear you down and wear you out, and he's out to do it, and he'll do it if we let him. And can I tell you that not only will praise lead us into his presence, the presence of God, and not only will praise change us, but praise will drive the devil back. Praise is the one thing Satan hates. If you want to give, listen, if you want to give Satan heaven instead of him giving you hell, praise God. Praise God. What kind of church is it that's going to get the attention of the nation and actually play a part in rolling back the darkness and bringing light back into our country? It's going to be praising, worshiping churches who know not only do I come into His presence by praise, not only am I changed by praise, but I'm also defeating the enemy of my soul by the power of praise. Do you remember that insecticide commercial where those cockroaches are running around on the floor and all of a sudden a can of Raid comes out? And they go, raid! And they boogie. When you worship God, they go, worship! I have never done that in church. That was a first for me. But you get the point. And remember how they, they run for the hills? Listen, when the church gets a hold of the fact that God has given us a weapon, 
It is the power of prayer. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Well, how does God arise? By praise and by worship. The darkness-piercing church of our day has the secret weapon of praise. Praise is the number one dread of Satan. That's why I tell you, if he's coming against your home, get in the middle of your living room, get your Bible in your hand, lift up your other hand to God, begin to worship and praise him and praise him until you can't praise him anymore because it is like releasing a spiritual insecticide into your, church, into your house and it will drive the enemy out. Praise releases the power that pierces this present darkness. From the lips of children, David said, and infants, you have ordained praise to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Have you ever wanted just to say to the devil, shut up, shut up? Well, it says when you praise God, it silences him. One day, I'm going to close with this. King Jehoshaphat was told this, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. They vastly outnumber you, Jehoshaphat. They're coming from the other side of the sea like a cloud, and you're about to lose it all. They're about to annihilate you. It says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men. Now notice, men. Guys, I'm going to tell you, if you think you're too macho to praise God, you're too macho. David was a man's man's man, and David praised God with all of his heart. If you think you're too macho to praise God, come down to the altar after we're done. I'm going to lay hands on you. You're going to get rid of it right down here today. Because if you'll learn to praise God, it's going to change your home. So he sent the men, not with sword and spear and arrow. No, he sent the men. And what did he tell the men to do? To sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. He said, this is what you sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. What an army. Here comes these men, a vast army that you could not number, and here comes Israel. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They looked at them. They looked for their sword, their spear, their bow, their wasn't any. They said, man, these people really are as crazy as we have always heard. But it says, as they began to sing and praise and worship the Lord. God Almighty set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They became so confused, they turned on each other and annihilated each other. So praise completely discombobulated and confused the enemies of Israel. Paul and Silas knew the same key. Let's worship him right here in our dungeon. And they began to worship God. Satan all over that place. And suddenly, God said, there's my boys worshiping me. I can't take it. Gabriel, go let them out. And the whole prison shook. Every chain came off all the prisoners. They all fell on their knees and worshiped God. And the jailer got saved in all of his household. And the whole thing was turned around. Praise cancels satanic assignments. 
So can we stand together today? I wish I could say I did this perfectly like I've preached. I, I don't. I can say honestly I do it a lot more than I used to. And I'm learning to practice the presence of God. I'm learning not to give in to pressure, stress, the voice of the enemy, uh, demands and worry and fear and the knot in your stomach and all that this world wants to bring up. I'm learning just to relax and come into His presence. Now I'm asking you to ask Him to help you and I'm going to ask Him to help me to become a better praiser. How many of you needed this today? You needed this today? Then you know what? Uh, you, may, you may have a chance to try it just getting out of the parking lot and one of these people in here are going to pull right in front of you. And you're going to have to, oh, hallelujah. I was in there. You're going to get to try it out tomorrow morning. So let's just come into his presence right now. Let's sing what we did the first service, Pastor Joe. And we cry holy, holy, Go ahead, let's practice now. Holy, Thank you, Lord. We 